This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's no secret the Pentagon has a supply chain problem. Numerous reports in recent years have shed light on the U.S. military's dependence on sources in China for critical materials. Now the Pentagon is advancing a proposal officials say would help fix that problem by funding competing companies in Australia and the United Kingdom. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday joins me with the latest, and I guess this kind of goes along with submarines in different countries, Justin, but how would the Pentagon go about investing in these countries, and how would the investments, what would all look like? Right. Well, the Pentagon is putting forward a proposal to change the definition of domestic sources under the Defense Production Act to include the United Kingdom and Australia. Right now, the law defines domestic sources as, of course, the United States and Canada. And essentially, this is a Cold War era program. You know, everyone became familiar with the DPA last year when uh, President Trump invoked it to compel certain companies to make medical supplies. What it also allows the Pentagon to do, though, is to invest in key supplies. They've made a number of investments in companies to expand the production of things like microelectronics. And then, of course, during the pandemic, they've invested in medical supply companies and, you know, face mask companies, things like that to essentially help these companies expand uh, and produce more materials without having to take on cost. It's a, it's a really a strategic thing that the, the, the uh, White House can direct. And so Jesse Salazar, he's the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Industrial Policy, talked about how they want to expand the companies that they can invest in to firms in the United Kingdom and Australia. Here's Salazar talking at George Mason University's Center for Government Contracting earlier this month. So broadening the definition of domestic sources under the DPA will ensure the timely availability of essential industrial resources to support national defense requirements. We're working with Congress to make sure that we have that authority to invest in Australia and the UK. That's Jesse Zalazar, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Industrial Policy. Now, Australia has rare earth element, rare earth element processing industry that Salazar said the United States would like to be able to take advantage of and actually use to maybe build some capabilities here in the United States as well. The United Kingdom has advanced batteries and forging and casting capacities that the United States would want to take advantage of and invest in under this expanded program. So those are a couple of specific areas where the Pentagon sees some potential to invest in firms in these foreign countries. Yeah, they don't make Jaguars in Great Britain anymore. I guess the question then is, as you began to answer, they also see this as ultimately benefiting the supply chain right here in the United States, correct? That's right. I mean, as you mentioned at the top, there's a lot of concern that the Pentagon, if things go awry with China, won't be able to get certain materials. And so they want to have materials sourced in areas that they are more confident over the long term. And so it's all, this proposal is also in line with this thing called the National Technology Industrial Base, or NTIB. It was recently expanded to include the Austra- Australia and the United Kingdom in addition to the United States and Canada. And it's, it's a part of what, how the, the Pentagon wants to kind of work with allied countries to compete with this supply chain dominance that China has at the moment. Uh, the Pentagon has proposed a five-year, $1 billion program to address vulnerabilities in the defense supply chain. Christine McKenzie is chief technology officer at the Pentagon's acquisition directorate. And she talked about how allies and the NTIB 
fit into the Pentagon supply chain strategy at a conference earlier this month. Our partners and allies are a key part of our strategy to make our supply chains more secure and resilient. The U.S. has never had and will never have a completely domestic supply chain. We cannot do that. We have to rely on our partners and allies. They provide key industrial base and, and technical capabilities that we have to leverage to solve some of our supply chain risks. You know, we are definitely engaging with our partners within the NTIB to try to make sure we're communicating where our highest risk areas are and trying to understand what their capabilities either are or where we can partner with them to develop capabilities, either within the U.S. or in those countries that we can leverage to fill our supply chain gaps and address our risks. And that's Christine McKenzie, the Chief Technology Officer to the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. And just as an aside question, did in any of these discussions the idea of protecting the shipping that would connect Australia and Great Britain to the United States, especially in the contested area kind of above Australia that China is increasingly claiming for its own, did that come up in any of these discussions? Well, not in the industrial policy discussions per se. These are discussions that are really focused on industry, but you can be sure that that's uh, a problem that the joint staff at the Pentagon and and other planning and operational folks are probably focused upon as well. Yeah, because it wasn't that many decades ago that, you know, Nazi Germany was sinking ships going across the Atlantic and a lot of tonnage was lost per month and faster than they could almost replace it until things got under control. Anyhow, that was then. What about Congress? They like to get excited. And do they have anything to say about the supply chain issues, anything in the NDAA, anything contemplated from the Hill? Yeah, well, you know, the House Armed Services Committee had a critical supply chain task force that really dug into these issues earlier this year. They actually called out the NTIB as an underutilized forum that should be leveraged to kind of shape policy and partnerships around supply chain in concert with allies. You know, the United States not just going it alone here. But, you know, Congress is also looking to see more investments in domestic industries in American jobs. And so the House's version of the fiscal year 2022 defense authorization bill would actually increase by American requirements for products that the Pentagon buys. It's it's currently at 55% of a product has to be made in America to be considered by American compliant. The the House version of the bill would see that rise to 75% uh, over the next decade or so. So you're seeing this tension a little bit here between investments in domestic, purely domestic industry versus wanting to work with partners and allies to combat or compete with China. So that's something that you'll have, we'll have to track going forward to see how that plays out. And the other issue, I suppose, is Africa, which has rich deposits of raw materials. China has been making some aggressive investments in Africa pursuant to its own rare earth needs and exotic material needs and kind of establishing mercantilistic arrangements there. Has anyone in the Pentagon talked about if we could do a better job in Africa? Again, a volatile area. It's hardly like doing business in Australia, but nevertheless, the stuff is there. Not that I've heard, but uh, what I have heard is that it's not necessarily sourcing the the raw, rare earth elements itself that's the problem. It's actually the processing of the materials. Um, so that's where the United States, that's where the Pentagon, at least, is looking at getting better 
that's what they're eyeing in Australia, which has kind of this burgeoning rare earth element processing industry. So I think when you're looking for the Pentagon to perhaps make investments in this area, look for processing and maybe less just mining. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. 
And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I, I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day 
and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.